There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. I'm your host Mark Taylor and before we carry on with the show I need to apologise for the lack of content in July. Summer months are often difficult logistically for the crew to sync their schedules. Unfortunately July was virtually impossible for us to get together. Ross Hockham has been really busy with UK astronomy events. Well, photography has been travelling and his supporting cast work for television has been ramping up a bit and later on in the show we'll be showcasing something special that Will has also been busy with. My partner in crime from across the pond, John Berger, has been snowed under replicating props from the video game Warframe to be exhibited at Tenocon, which is a convention dedicated to Warframe which takes place later this month. John has recently paid a visit to London, Ontario in Canada, which is the home of Digital Extremes, the developers of Warframe, to catch up with the development team and to drop off his props in person. Hopefully, John will tell us more about that and Tenocon 2023 next month. Right, it's time to take a short break, and when we return, Ross will be taking us through an annual special event that is happening as we speak. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and Space Launch System rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the Red Planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Hello and welcome to the August Sky Guide from UK Astronomy. Now this month we have started a little bit late, but that's due to one of the highlights of the year, which is the Perseid Meteor Shower. So the beauty of this event is you don't need any equipment whatsoever. Just grab a hot drink, get the kids or dogs or your partner out, go into your garden or find a nice dark field and just look up and see all these meteors flying through the sky, hopefully, fingers crossed, if it's clear. Now the peak of the shower happens in the middle of August, usually around about the 12th and the 13th, but we did enter the dust stream left over from a comet in 
in July. So we're not going to leave it until the end of August, so it's quite a big dust stream that our planet's going through as we go through it. The shower of meteors slowly is going to build up until its peak, and then slowly sort of dwindle back to normality throughout the rest of August. So you really have got all of August to kind of have a look and see if you can see the shooting stars, burning up bits of rock, who knows what you might see. Now, these fixed events like the Perseids are named due to the location in the sky from where the meteors radiate. The Perseids are named so because they come from the constellation Perseus, which is in fact from around the sort of ancient hero's head. So if you actually see a picture of what he looks like, you can get a, uh, an app called Stellarium. And then if you put the artwork up, it will show you this hero and round about where his head is, Perseus, it's right there where they kind of radiate from. It's in between Cassiopeia, which is a sideways W, and Perseus itself. So right there, that's where they're going to be flying across the sky from. But just look up, you should see them anyway. Now Perseus rises pretty much from... When the sun sets, I'd say around 10pm onwards, and it's to the sort of northeast. As the night goes on, Perseus actually rises higher, so you're going to get a lot better sort of chance to see the meteors later in the night. So most people are saying around about 2am is probably the best for the peak. So 12 to 2am, that's the darkest point in the sky really, where it gets its darkest in the summer. And that's due to it obviously still being light out. So I'd say set an alarm, get up at 12, stay out for a couple of hours, see how many meteors you see flying across the sky. Every year they generally predict around about 100 an hour, but you're never really going to see this amount, I'm sorry to say, because of light pollution and other factors like that. Luckily the moon is out of the way, it's rising later as a sort of thin crescent this year, so great conditions as long as it's not cloudy. Personally I've encountered about 67 in around an hour and a half. But as we know, these sort of things are really unpredictable as it's a dust lane left by a comet. So there are dense areas, thinner areas, so you never know what you might see. While you're up there looking, you see these bits flying around and burning up. Just think they're actually bits of comet that are burning up in our atmosphere as our planet passes through this really sort of dense dust lane left over from a comet. It's awesome. You might see a slightly larger piece that will create a stunning display that you'll never forget. You're going to remember it forever. It'll be like a fireball burning up in the sky. I've only ever seen like one or two of these so far in about nine or ten years. And they were random ones. So who knows with a meteor shower, you're probably going to get even more. Now, if you're thinking of trying to get a picture of one, which you can do quite easily, Will Cheng has written an awesome guide for us using a camera. So I'm going to read out for you guys his guide to using a camera to try and take pictures of the Perseids. Now, he says the biggest challenge in capturing Perseids is that they appear very quickly and randomly all over the course of the night and the sky. From his experience, it's not necessary just to focus on the constellation itself. You want to get a wide view. So this means you do have a choice, kind of like use a wide focal length lens, i.e. 14mm or 18mm. Once you've found a suitable location, which generally a dark site is ideal, because you've got low light pollution, means it won't wash out some of the fainter meteors out there, and you'll be able to capture more. But however, you can still capture a few of the brighter ones in the night sky, even from like a light polluted area like Milton Keynes where I live. So it's always worth a go from your garden, you never know. So what you're going to need, a camera, obviously, but it's going to be one where you can manipulate the settings with the ability to control the settings manually. That's what you want. A tripod as well or something to rest your camera on because you want it to be nice and steady. You don't want it to wobble so that the stars and stuff are all blurry. You need an intervalometer. Now, I probably said that wrong, but I've not used one of these yet, but they're really good. So quite often the cameras have these built into them as well, which saves you sitting there like I did using uh, my thumb or Bluetooth from my phone, about 300 pictures from my phone to my camera. I had to lay on the floor, have my camera set up so it was Bluetooth to it. And I sat there having to every couple of seconds press with my thumb. So I was there for about two hours and the next day my thumb ached for about two days. So if you can get one of these cool little gizmos to go on it or it clips into it or it's already in it, definitely worth getting. They're awesome. Saves you pressing the button every time. It'll automatically do it. 
Once the camera is set up on a tripod, you'll need to then manually focus to infinity with your camera lens. The best way to do this is to take the lens off autofocus, then using live view on your camera, zoom into a bright star, turn the focusing ring until the star is small and sharp and crisp as possible. And that means your camera lens is now focused properly. Now adjust your exposure settings. Usually you would have sort of your aperture as wide as possible to let more light in and keeping your ISO below 3200 to reduce noise in the sky. You'll then have a shutter speed up to about 15 seconds per click. A typical setup would be f2.8 ISO 1600 for about 10 seconds. However, having a one size fit all isn't possible as every location and lens and camera will be different. So the key things to consider with exposure in Will's experience is to keep the shutter open for at least 8 seconds. For faster lenses, wide aperture means you can have an ISO even lower of about 800 for example. So go out and just try the different things, try the three different types, try moving them about, try changing the aperture, try changing the ISO, have fun and see which one comes out best when you're taking pictures of the sky. Now using the gizmo, it will save you from keep pressing the shutter every few seconds for as long as your batteries last pretty much. So you want to get that set up to go, keep clicking and clicking and clicking over and over and over, which means you can probably go inside, have a cup of tea and your camera will keep on going. But I like to sit there and have a look and see them kind of like flying through the sky and then see if you've captured it, which we'll come on to anyway. One of the things to think about in astrophotography is consider your composition. Having something from the ground helps frame your image, like a building, a tree for example, often makes the photo more sort of appealing and gives it kind of depth. Meaning you've got all this sorted, set up, ready to go. You can just sit back, snapping away, watching the meteors, and then rush over to the camera and see if you've captured one, which I think is really cool. I love seeing the meteor fly across and you know you're taking a picture of that sort of area. And then once it's finished taking the picture, run over, look on the live view on the back and see if you've actually captured it right there and then. Really exciting. Other than that, you'll have to go inside and then go through all 300 pictures and trying to find them. That's Will's sort of rough guide. You can find it on the website, www.ukastronomy.org. They're all there for you. Guides to see all sorts of things, constellations and everything's up there. So if you want to have a read of that, it's there. Now for my part, which is smartphone meteor capturing. The best way to try and grab a snap of these burning bits of Comet is to grab an app like a Nightcap that you can get on your phone. That's for iPhone, I believe. I don't know if you can get it on the Android, that sort of thing. Because I haven't got one of them, but I'm sure there's one or the same one that you can get for that. All you want is one that lets you play around with the focus, the ISO, the WB, the exposure on your phone, and it just allows you to play around a bit more with it and actually get some great pics in the night sky. Now, some phones actually have astrophotography built modes into the cameras now, which is really cool, so they might have something for you. Now, this app is awesome because it also has some special functions like a long exposure mode, light trails mode, stars mode, ISS mode, and yep, yeah, you guessed it, meteor mode. It's really simple. Like Will said, you can just pop it on a tripod, same with your phone, put your phone on a tripod or a stable surface like a table or the floor just facing upwards. Don't tread on it. <laughs> I nearly did that once. Tap the shutter button on the screen and voila, it should just automatically start taking pictures of the sky, doing all the hard work for you. You can go back to, you know, checking out all the pics, deleting them without the meteors in once it's all done. You can also stop at any time. Move it to face a different direction. This way you can sit out looking up and trying to see where sort of you can see where the meteors are flying about. Maybe they're all on the right hand side, so you can move your phone so it's facing that way. And then you can guarantee they'll all be on the left hand side. That's what generally happens. As I said, like me, sit there looking up, seeing all the meteors, and then rushing over to your phone, see if you've captured it. Which I did, and there's a picture on the notes here that um will be put with this podcast for you to have a look at, and some of Will's work as well. So it also works on iPad, so happy hunting, or should I say snapping, fingers crossed, 
the weather's clear for you and you might get to see some meteors. And remember, if you miss the peak days, it doesn't matter. They're going to slowly dwindle down to the end of August. Now, that's the highlight out of the way. Where are the planets at the moment? With the sun setting around about 8.30pm, Venus is right there with it, so you're not really going to get to see that at all. Sadly, it's very close to the... Well, it's not close to the sun, it's in front of it. So we can't really see Venus at the moment. She's been awesome for the past few months, and now she's going to flip around to the other side and be up in the morning sky instead. There will be a very small Mercury and red Mars just after the sun sets, literally right there to the left-hand side of it, but very low on the horizon. It's going to be probably a pretty hard spot because they're going to be setting soon after as well, but you never know, you might see it. Mercury has pretty much reached its greatest elongation at the moment, so it'll be moving back towards the sun soon, making it not really that great to spot either this month, sadly. Saturn's rising around about 9pm, and it's looking good as it rises through the night, with Jupiter rising later around about 11.15pm. Uranus is just after... <laughs> It's kind of in between Jupiter and the star cluster Pleiades, with Neptune below one of the fish representing Pisces, so it's by that constellation. Both are kind of in no man's land, so it'll be harder to find, so Uranus and Neptune are quite hard to find. Jupiter and Saturn should be easily seen, they're really good, but as I said, they're rising later. So it's not really a great month for planets, I'm afraid, but the Milky Way, however, is really high and proud over our skies, creating a great sort of like arcing band of stars and dust. Best seen around midnight to 2am, it's a stunning sight in our summer skies. It actually goes really high up for us to see. Now while you're there looking through the Milky Way, see if you can spot Cygnus, the swan. It'll be flying through the Milky Way itself. If you've got a telescope, check out the swan's head star. It's a famous double star. It's called Alberio, and it's like a blue and yellow star together. And it looks really cool. The contrast of those two colours is amazing. They're really awesome. That's why it's quite famous, because they're not the same colours. A real contrast of blue and yellow. Now from the 18th onwards, the thin crescent moon is going to slowly be seen in the afternoon sky, getting brighter and higher as the month goes on, until reaching uh, the second full moon of the month, which is on the 31st, literally the last sort of night. Now this full moon is known as a blue moon, only because of the reason that it's the second moon in a month. That's why it's called a blue moon. Sadly, it's not going to be blue. There's not really anything special about it. The only good thing about the 31st one is as it's rising, Saturn is literally going to be kind of just above it. So Saturn is just above the moon, either to the left or right, I think it's to the right of it. So the ring planet is going to be rising with this full moon. Now, this moon is near perigee, which means it's the closest point to Earth in its orbit, which happens quite often as it goes around. So it's going to be dubbed by the media as a super blue moon. That'll be everywhere, I guarantee it, all over the media. All it means is it's going to look slightly bigger than when it's further away. I think it's something like 14% or something like that than its smallest point and its, you know, biggest point. <laughs> you're not really going to notice it by eye it will look really cool as it's rising up but unfortunately it's not anything mentally special like the media make out and it won't be blue as they say to be fair there's lots of wildfires at the moment and stuff going on so they do say that that can turn it either redder or bluer depending i think there's volcanic stuff in the sky and dust can actually make it go bluer it could go blue but i would don't reckon it will be this time it'll just be a normal full moon really cool to see though <laughs> On the 27th, if we go back a little bit, Saturn actually reaches opposition, which means it's going to be the best one to view at the moment, and it's the best time to view the planet. It's going to seem to look sort of bigger and brighter than normal. That'll be more probably for a telescope than anything else. So it's definitely this month's best planet to see. And as I said, the best time to see it, 31st, when the full moon's right next to it. Then you can find the planet really easily. So that's the highlights of the month, but you can find more guides on our website, www.ukastronomy.org, covering deep space objects, constellations, star clusters, the astrophotography guides there for you as well. So I hope you have an awesome August. Clear skies, guys, and remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Thanks, Ross. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this and every episode by clicking on the Explore This Episode button at the bottom of every TGP Nominal episode entry in the podcast section of our website. 
or by clicking on the link in the synopsis wherever you listen to your podcasts, where you can find links, photos, diagrams, videos, and all kinds of fun stuff related to the Sky Guides. Now usually at this point, Wheel Photography will be bringing you celestial objects of the month. However, that wasn't possible this month due to something special that has taken place for him. Will made an appearance on ITV News from the Tyne Tees region to talk about it. Have a listen to this. Northumberland photographer and astronomer who captures the magic of the dark skies around us from the Milky Way to the Northern Lights is having his work featured in a new exhibition. Yes, Will Chung's Infinite Skies. It opens at the Queen's Hall in Hexham and then the idea behind it is that people can stand in front of the photos and feel like they are in them, surrounded by the stars. Earlier this afternoon, Will joined us in the studio. Well, good to see you. The pictures are incredible. Not just snapped quickly on an iPhone, I imagine. No, not, not just an iPhone. Um, a lot more sophisticated equipment, and more importantly, specific lenses as well with astrophotography. You need some really good lenses that take in low light. You've been to some incredible places in our region and around the world as well. I think one thing for me, Will, when I look at these pictures is I think they're amazing, but also you were there in person at the time as well to see them you've got to remember to look at it through your own eyes as well as you know taking your stunning photos. Honestly, that is one of the things that I always tell people, right, when they're taking photographs of the night sky, because there's obviously so much of it. Um, one of the biggest lessons I learned was many years ago photographing the solar eclipse in America, and I was so focused on just getting the timings right, this every second had to be right for the, for the totality, for the diamond ring, all of that sort of stuff. And someone shouted, Will, look up. And I, I was like, I'm too focused. They said, look up. And I looked up and I was like, oh, it just completely took my breath away. Completely took my breath away. That's and then, a lesson for us all. That, honestly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. honestly. And the kind of things that you see in the night sky, what is it that captures you about what you're seeing? I think, to be honest with you, we're so sort of busy, aren't we? You're always looking down what's going on with our own lives. Often we forget to look up and there are so many beautiful things. I always say there's loads of different things. It's not just, I say, just looking at stars. There's things like the Northern Lights, there's comets shooting stars, all sorts of things, which is nature. You run workshops in Northumberland. Yes. So yeah, everybody yeah. can get an insight to this. Yeah, so um, at Twice Brewed, uh, Twice Brewed Inn, we have stargazing events. We have um, photography workshops as well. And I would hope that my work is about inspiring people to look up more. And also, of course, there's loads of people that want to photograph them as well. Yes, with phones, not so good, but you know what? You can take pretty good photographs nowadays with phones. So with these workshops, it's like all different skills, all different equipment, you know, let's get you out there photographing the night sky. Absolutely, and just finally, Will, this exhibition, a big moment for you. I know you said it made you feel quite emotional when you first saw the pictures in print. It's on in Hexham and these incredible photos are gonna feature. 
Yeah, so uh, I was lucky enough to have a little preview. Um, and the thing is, you know, obviously most of the time when I look at my photographs, I don't get them printed. I am literally looking maybe at the back of my screen, back of my, my monitor. So when I went to the exhibition and there's a huge print, it's like five meters by three meters. Oh. It just honestly, it, it was pretty emotional. I couldn't, I'm getting emotional now. I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it, you know, that an organization would, like Queen's Hall would have, you know, to invest to have these big prints of my work, you know, for everyone to see. So it was like, it was really special, definitely. Absolutely. If you would like to visit Will's Infinite Skies exhibition, admission is free and it's taking place until the 16th of September at the Queen's Hall Art Centre in Beaumont Street, Hexham, Northumberland. You can find links to the exhibition in the show notes. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Well, that's the end of another TGP Nominal episode. I hope you enjoyed your show and return next month, where hopefully normal service will resume. So that leaves me with one thing left to say. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and we'll talk to you all again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not help us out by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. <laughs>